Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, another U.S. men's national team sextet, the offside line, VAR announcements, 4th of July soccer, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossier, soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Masi, how you doing on this Monday, July 3rd in the year 2023? I am doing well. Are you a fan of the Indiana Jones movies? Yes, I think I would consider myself a fan of the, what are we at, a trilogy or is it four now? What are we at? The fifth one just the came out. One, yes. I am planning to see it later today. Oh, you are? Yes. It has not gotten great reviews. It is a kind of last lap for Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones Um and the reviews when it you know came out to the previews and stuff like that have not been great. But I think there's also a nostalgia and a recognition of the entire body of Indiana Jones work uh, relative to Harrison Ford, too. Interestingly enough, the original trilogy is fantastic, defining movies in my childhood. Indiana Jones 4 was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. That was the Crystal Skull or whatever? Yes. The, 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 something or other? So when I heard they were making another one, I assumed I would be ranting on this podcast about how Hollywood has lost all its creativity and they need to stop trying to uh, revive these old franchises, Top Gun Maverick notwithstanding. Um, and to your point, there have been a lot of negative reviews. However, two people in my life have seen this movie recently and given it positive reviews. People uh, that you trust. Yes. Uh, Wayne, an operator that works here at Fox Sports. Okay. And then my buddy Scott Norwood both gave it three out of four. All right. So you're going in with uh, a positive vibes as to what. I, and, and again, I should say in reading the reviews, it was much more about it just kind of doesn't live up to the past, but there's still an homage factor and a feel good factor ultimately that uh, um, comes out of it. I, I was reading actually an article about uh, Karen Allen, uh, who plays his kind of love interest over the course of a lot of these uh, movies having a, a cameo too. I think, it, I think that's what it was. Um, uh, I see anything else or anything else you want to mention? No, I do want to congratulate our colleague, yes. Catherine Donnelly. Now Catherine, is it Corjani? Is that how you pronounce it? She's still cat, you know, we'll, we'll go with that. But congratulations to, uh, um, to both of them. Uh, best wishes. Uh, here's to a, long lifetime of health and happiness um, and success going forward. It's fun. It's fun to see when two, two kids in love uh, tie the knot and head off into that incredible pathway. 
Uh, I've never met the young man. Uh, he apparently works at Fox. Uh, perhaps Kat should bring him in one day so he can meet us and we can decide whether we approve or not. of Right. Him. We'll give him, you know, the once over. And, and again, not that she needs it, but, you know, hopefully give our approval unless, you know, we find something wrong. And then we're just going to make sure that she understands that. But uh, they seem to be uh, happy by all accounts. And uh, the folks that were at the wedding said it was great. Uh, and uh, we even saw some pictures of them at Dave and Buster's playing after the uh, wedding. So it was uh, it was fun. Um, so I, I don't I have not watched anything uh, of particular note. However, I I am starting uh, a book right now and I want to make sure I get this right called Shadow Divers. Have you ever heard of this book? No, um, it it is about a diving group of men in 1991, uh, that dove on a um, submerged German U-boat off the coast of New Jersey. And I'm, I'm, I'm just getting into it, but it goes through all the trials and tribulations and, you know, unfortunately, some deaths and stuff like that uh, of this incredible saga of identifying what this boat was about, the story behind it, and then obviously diving on it and the perils and the danger that come uh, that come with that comes on the heel of uh, obviously the you know the horrible story of the uh the submersible and all that but the diving world and divers like a lot of <laughs> i guess niche uh types of occupations they have their own culture and lingo and history and there's some really interesting um characters when it comes to uh, when it comes to that so i'll let you know as we go along how that is uh, how that is going um ready to light the scandal my friend let's do it okay where should we start here uh let's let's start with the u.s right we're we're recording this on like i said july 3rd you're probably listening to this on july 3rd july 4th independence day by the way happy uh independence day to everyone else uh, everyone out there that is uh, that is celebrating and um let's go right to the u.s yes uh, the united states concluded the group stage of the gold cup by hammering Trinidad and Tobago 6-0 in Charlotte. Keep in mind, in their entire Gold Cup history, the U.S. had only had two six-goal victories. They beat Cuba 6-0 in 2015, and then Trinidad and Tobago 6-0 in 2019. And they've now matched that in each of their last two games. So they finished this group stage with a flurry. The story, once again, was Jesus Ferreira. He became the first player in U.S. men's national team history to score back-to-back hat-tricks, all three goals coming in the first half. He's now up to three career international hat-tricks, equaling Landon Donovan for most among U.S. players. He's the runaway top scorer in this tournament with six goals. We talked about him on the last pod, but I think we should revisit it. Uh, what do you make of this whole Jesus Ferreira dynamic? He's now up to 14 goals and 21 international appearances. Wow, that's uh, that's something to behold. And you know what we talked about a lot on the on the broadcast of the game was how you can look at Jesus Ferreira with perspective and recognize that yes, he is doing this against inferior opposition. But you can also look at it, and I hope you do, and I certainly do as an incredible moment in this player's life where everything that he is touching is turning to gold or to goal as the case may be here. And an American is scoring goals for America on a consistent and historical pace. And that is, that is fun. That is worth praise, obviously, and it's worth celebration. Does it mean that he is going to become messy? Does it mean <laughs> that the U S is winning the world cup? No. But in this moment, at this time, with this group playing in this Gold Cup, this is fun to see. 
And if you crap on it, then you have bigger problems. All right. Um, and, you know, I, I talked in the previous uh, pod about Jesus Ferreira and him being the new Jassy Zardes in this target and this punching bag for many people that just want to vent their anti-MLS stance that they have taken, some, you know, incredibly uh, strident type of stance that they have taken, or their insecurities, their inferiority complex, all the different things that we we have uh, there. And listen, Jesus Ferreira is not beyond reproach when it comes to criticism. Uh, And obviously it didn't go well for him in terms of playing a lot. And even when he did play in the World Cup, you know, he he was uh, non-existent, non-existent, which leads to the, the conversation, the bigger conversation and say it's all fine and well to score against St. Vincent or uh, St. Kitts and Nevis. And then in this situation against Trinidad and Tobago. But can you do it against the big boys? And it remains to be seen whether he can or even will he be given the opportunity. But right now, I think that we can uh, that we can celebrate him. And the U.S. finishes first in the group comes out uh, looking good. B.J. Callahan rolls along, undefeated B.J. Callahan. Uh, He continued on with Jesus Ferreira. I think the big winners out of the group stage have to be, obviously, Jesus Ferreira. I think uh, Jordi Mihailovic, uh, Jalen Neal uh, in the back. I think those are the big winners. Big losers have to be Zendejas, Alex Zendejas, who it's just not happening for him. Um, Sonora. Uh, who didn't even play in the last game because uh, he was hurt. Um, I don't know. What, what else stood out to you regarding, uh, regarding the players? Can we stay on the center forward theme for yeah, a minute? Yeah, sure. Uh, the other goals uh, in this game were courtesy of Kate College and Luca Buzio and Brandon Vasquez. I do wonder where Vasquez's head is at at the moment because mm-hmm. he's done nothing wrong. He's actually made good use of his limited time on the field, but I'm sure he viewed this tournament as a chance to move up in the center forward pecking order. Keep in mind, we're having this conversation on Fuladin Balogun's birthday. He turned 22 today. Yep. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to him. But uh, Jesus Ferreira is preventing Vasquez from really being able to showcase himself. If Ferreira doesn't get hurt, I don't think Vasquez is going to start a game at this Gold Cup. We also talked about on the last podcast the fact that Borussia Mönchengladbach wanted to sign him as a replacement for Marcos Turan, who's gone to Inter Milan. And yet Cincinnati blocked that deal. Greg Berhalter is taking over again. The perception is that Greg Berhalter doesn't rate Vasquez as highly as others do. So I do wonder where Brandon Vasquez's head is at at the moment. Yeah, I mean, he, he to your point, every time he comes on the field, I mean, everybody's scoring and scoring a lot, but he's coming on the field and doing what you want from a substitute. And he, he did it again last night against uh, TNT. And that's that's good to see. But I think there's, there's a lot of questions as to what would this team look like with a Brandon Vasquez starting up top? Because as we've said time and time again, he plays the position in a very, very different way and and dramatically different than Jesus Ferreira. And by the way, a lot of the, you know, the discussion and, and at times criticism of Jesus Ferreira, Ferreira is the false nine-ish way in which he plays that position. And, you know, obviously it's working right now, but there are times where it doesn't work, or I think whoever's coaching, whether it's BJ or, or Greg Berhalter, may look at it and say, this is not that game for that type of player. But 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 Jesus Ferreira, I think, has already improved since last we saw him in the World Cup. And the first touch that he has, and it's not it's not as if he already he just got the first touch over the last six months, but the showcasing of that first touch and the quickness of him to receive a ball and get shots off, that's really impressive. You know, we were with uh, 
Kobe Jones and Marisa Du yesterday, and we were all marveling at the way in which he puts himself in positions and that first touch and the quickness that he has, which ultimately just comes down to your technical ability and the ability ultimately to execute, that that's really something to behold when you see him bring a ball in and then get the shot off almost all in one type of motion. Um, some roster news. As you mentioned, Alan Senora is hurt. He is out of the tournament, so the U.S. will be able to uh, call up a replacement for him. Frankly, the way he was playing, you could throw a dart out the window and hit somebody that would be an upgrade at this point. Uh, Jordan Morris banged up, but they're going to keep him because they think he has a chance of coming back. Aiden Morris left the team for personal reasons, but he'll come back. So it's going to be that one change, most likely. Sonora replaced by somebody. As of this taping, I haven't seen a name announced, but by the time you hear this podcast, uh, there might be already news on that. So we'll see. But just based on the players that are there now, if we're projecting ahead, mm -hmm. I agree with you. Mihailovic, one of the big winners. I think that midfield three of Mihailovic, Buzio, and Sands is going to stick for the knockout stage. Sands I has been really good. And he, you know, he plays that position where he doesn't get a lot of attention, but he's been really good. I uh, Busio, I'm, I'm still not sold on. At the back, I think any game that Miles Robinson is fit enough to start, he'll start. The question would be, has Jalen Neal reached too good to take out of the lineup status, or could you see BJ coming back with an Aaron Long or a Miazga for experience in the knockout stage? I mean, it depends. I think he is, I think Jalen Neal has done enough to prove that he deserves the chance to be put in a situation where he's going to be tested more. Because let's be honest, he has done very little but what he has done when he has been tested he's been primo wonderful whether it's winning tackles winning balls in the air or maybe even more importantly his ability to play out of the back and to find some of those seams and those killer passes that yes have risk but they bypass multiple lines of players and he's he's seeing that type of stuff and he's showing a maturity of play that uh you know, a 19-year-old usually doesn't have. So, yeah, I, th I think that you continue on with him. And keep in mind that the only reason he's playing is because halfway through the first game, he was needed as a substitute. And he has just, once again, taken hold of that opportunity that comes at someone else's expense of an injury and said, no, I'm not going to let go of it. I thought DeJuan Jones was terrific at left back, so I think he'll stick. At right back, you think Yedlin or Brian Reynolds starts the next game? Oof. I, I mean, I, I think Reynolds. I, it's, it's, a, it's a close one. I think Reynolds, yeah. And then, obviously, Ferreira starts up top. I think Roldan will stick, uh, assuming Jordan Morris is not fit enough to start the next game. He'll stick in that sort of left-sided attacking role. Does uh, Zendejas get another opportunity, or perhaps Gressel? <sighs> Man, I don't know. I mean, he's... he's BJ Callahan has given... Zendaya has three starts, so he can't complain about the time and the opportunities. And to be fair, sometimes it's it's painful because you feel like he's he's forcing the issue, and it's just not it's just not working. But to your point, they don't have a lot of options. Interesting thing is, all of the in the past, we've talked about all of those options that we have out wide, and now we just we don't with with um, with Jordan Morris hurt. So maybe maybe Gressel comes in. For that Sonata replacement, is there somebody out there you have in mind? No. We know it's not going to be any of the Pulisic, Reynas. No, no. I don't have, I'm trying to think of a comp. I, I, I don't know. No, I have no idea right now. And you might not even, you know, because BJ Callahan after the game was talking about the identity of the team. And as I said last night, the overall identity of the U.S. men's national team program has been established over this last cycle. 
there's an identity that forms within a tournament as you go on and all of these different experiences that you have together as as this group. And I think that's that's kind of coming together. And Jesus Ferreira is part of that up top because now they've established that this is kind of who they are in this moment at this at this tournament with the Jesus Ferreira up top. So I don't think I don't think that is going to uh, going to change. And, you know, BJ Callahan is given opportunity after opportunity. And every time he talks about Zendejas, he talks about the positive influence that he has had. Now, it's not translating into actual goals, but and I don't think you have anything else better or different to uh, to put there. Uh, for the Senora replacement, Sean Sullivan suggesting the likes of Timothy Tillman and Richie Ledesma. All right, whatever. But do you you might even say, you know what? We're fine with what we have right now because dynamics are very, very important. And a new player coming into a camp midway through this adventure that sometimes these tournaments are as you bob and weave and twist and turn through all the different uh, obstacles on and off the field. You know, it's a delicate type of balance uh, with that dynamic. Uh, let's talk potential quarterfinal opponents, then we'll circle back okay. to Mexico. So the U.S. and Jamaica advance from Group A. Both teams will play next Sunday in Cincinnati. The U.S. will face the Group D runner-up. Jamaica will face the Group D winner. It's going to be either Guadalupe, Guatemala, or Canada. Do any of those concern you more than the other, or it's all the same? Uh, no, it's all it, it, it's all the same, I think, relative to the quality. I think the mentality of Canada is such that if I, I mean, if I had to play one of them, Canada would not be the one that I would choose. Yeah, I know we've elevated Canada to the status now of one of the big boys in CONCACAF, but the squad they brought to this tournament is not very good. They feel like just another team in the field. Too. Yeah, but I think, again, the mentality of the way Canada views the U.S., it, there's, there's less fear factor and I, I guess even less respect uh, from a Canada perspective. I buy it. I, I think there's a good chance it's Canada because they're going to beat Cuba. And then if there's a winner in the Guadalupe-Guatemala game, that team would win the group and face Jamaica. And then Canada would face the U.S. We'll see how that plays out. Bring it on. Whatever. Whoever. It, it, yeah, whoever it is, I think the U.S. wins this next uh, round relatively comfortably. Also on Sunday, we had the final two matches in Group B. The big story there, Qatar beat Mexico at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Now, keep in mind, Mexico completely dominated this game. They outshot them 25-1 to 1 at almost 80% possession. I have no clue how Qatar won this game, but they did. Does that slow down a little bit, the Jimmy Lozano hype train for you? No. Well, hold on a second. You're, you're, you're not being fair to yourself. Uh, you know exactly how this happened because we have seen this over the years in that soccer is a game unlike any other where you can in this case literally have one shot and win the game you can completely give the ball to the other team and have no possession and still find a way to win the game and that's exactly what happened here because if these two teams play this game 10 times you know th this one time and actually 100 times one or two times out of that is, is going to happen right here. This was the perfect aligning of stars for Qatar, and they needed every single moment. They needed every opportunity that they, that they took, and they got that one. They score their goal. They defend. They bend, but they don't break. And we have seen this happen in soccer time and time again. And it's incredibly frustrating because not only frustrating from a, a viewer standpoint, but trying to explain why this happened. And so if you're Mexico 
and you're Jimmy Lozano and you go back in, what, what could you have done different other than, yeah, they should have scored. And, you know, inches here, inches there. It's, it's not because they're not creating opportunities and golden, golden opportunities. And all the data heads out there will look at this and say every bit of data points to that there's only one winner in this game and it is Mexico. And yet, when the whistle blows, Qatar wins one nothing. They go on again. Qatar as a guest uh, here in uh, here at the Gold Cup, and coming off of the the hosting of uh, of the World Cup back in December, they're continuing on. But they haven't brought their full team, and so for Carlos Quiroz, this is as he said blatantly, it's about development. Well, this was a huge, huge moment. Rob Stone last night on on air said that this is arguably the greatest moment in Qatari. Uh, and greatest result in the Qatar national team. You buy that? Yeah, he got in my ear. He said, what's Mexico ranked in the FIFA rankings? And I told him, and he said, this has to be their biggest ever win. I told him in a competitive match, probably I'd have to look through all the friendlies they've played, whether they beat somebody better than Mexico, but he went with it. You know, Rob, he's a gunslinger on the air. <laughs> well, because I, 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 when he said that, my, my ears perked up, and, but I hadn't really thought about it. And yeah, I mean, they bombed out of the uh, their the World Cup that they uh, that they hosted. So, yeah, I mean that's that's pretty amazing. And you know, it was up at Levi Stadium, and the, the energy of the um, almost entirely Mexican fans was there. By the way, the chant was was there, and I was surprised that the referee let it continue uh, continue on. So Mexico and the Mexican Federation again got very lucky that uh, that they didn't stop the game. Sean Sullivan, no respect for Mexico. He got in my ear and said. They must have beaten somebody in the Asian Cup that was better than this. Is there anybody in Asia that you would say is a bigger win than beating Mexico? I don't know. I mean, and and you have to take in the the circumstances and the like again, the environment. That was that was something to behold. It, it's not necessarily fun when a team just, you know, closes up shop and parks the bus and and batten down the ashes, whatever phrase you want to use, but they they did it well and Mexico could just not find a way through. And I I think it says I don't, I don't again to your point I'll get back to it I don't think that Jimmy Lozano should be pulling his hair out right now that oh my god this is this is horrible Qatar finished second in Group B they will face the Group C winner likely Panama I think and then Mexico will face the Group C runner up those games will be Saturday in Dallas Mexico and the U.S. by virtue of winning their groups they are now on opposite sides of the brackets they would only meet in the final July 16 at SoFi Stadium let me ask you this and we'll end on okay. this. Uh, Mexico brought closer to a full-strength squad to this tournament. They had that impressive opener against Honduras 4-0 while the U.S. tied Jamaica, and we said then that Mexico had stamped themselves as the favorites to win this tournament. After what the U.S. did in the last two games and Mexico losing to Qatar, has your view changed on that? If the U.S. and Mexico played tomorrow and you had to bet your life on the winner, who would you go with? Mexico. Yeah, I, I still think that Mexico is the best team in this tournament. Uh, in Jamaica's close and we can make an argument there, which would make this U.S. team winning this Gold Cup that much more magical. But keep in mind, that last Gold Cup, we were doing some of the, and talking, having some of the same discussions like, oh, it's a, is it a B team? Is it a C team? Is it going to happen? And that's kind of what made it special. Because right now, the U.S., I think, is so dominant and has so much depth that when we go into a tournament and it's orchestrated from within to bring a lesser than full strength team, 
it actually brings us down to the level of the other teams and therefore makes it that much more competitive and for us difficult to uh, uh, difficult to decide who ultimately is going to win. That's the difference between the U.S. and Canada to me. Both countries took similar approaches to uh, this Gold Cup, leaving their big European-based players out. But the U.S. has so much greater talent pool depth that with Canada, you see the drop-off with not having guys like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and Tejan Buchanan. They lost Eustachio to injury, while the U.S. still can field a pretty strong team. Yeah, and I think that's where some of the Canadian fans are a little disappointed and irritated as to, well, Again, was this this anomaly? Was this just this moment? And keep in mind, in 1986, when the men's team qualified, everyone thought that that was going to be the moment to kick on, and it never ended up happening. And you know, it took thirty plus years before they uh, before they got back. And that's not what you want to see now from Canada. You want to see them use this from a men's perspective uh, to kick on going forward into 2026. But you know, we'll see. I agree with you, though. Jamaica, to me, the clear-cut third-best team at this tournament, and they could absolutely beat the U.S. and sure. Mexico in a game. Sure. All right. Shall we pivot to transfer market news yes. involving U.S. national team players who are not at this tournament? Yes. Christian Pulisic in the news. He has agreed personal terms with AC Milan. He was willing to take a significant pay cut, so that's really where he wants to end up. It now rests on AC Milan and Chelsea agreeing on a transfer fee. AC Milan reportedly offering around 14 million euros. Chelsea want in the neighborhood of 25. AC Milan just sold a midfielder Sandro Tonali to Newcastle for 70 million euros. So Chelsea's wondering why they're being so cheap here. But AC Milan are threatening to walk away from the deal if Chelsea don't lower their demands. Meanwhile, Lyon are still sniffing around. They're willing to offer the 25 million, but Pulisic doesn't want to go there. So how do you see this situation? Well, first up, with my Rutgers education, let me see. 25 million is better than 15 million in terms of a transfer fee, right? Yeah. Okay. We've established that. Uh, keep in mind that um, Christian Pulisic was bought for what, like $80 million? And I know he only has a year left right now, and that certainly affects the price and the reality of what Chelsea is right now and the offloading that they are trying to do to thin the herd here is part of, uh, part of the equation. And you know, if Christian Pulisic wants, if he wants to leave uh, and he wants to play in, in Champions League, you know, those are, those are some questions that need, uh, that need to be answered. But it, the, the transfer fee, I think, was always going to be the sticking point and continues to be the sticking point. I think I would rather see Christian Pulisic at Milan and playing in a, you know, a revitalized type of Syria. I think that I think Syria relative to Liga is better. I think it has more cachet and more credibility right now. And AC Milan relative to Lyon, I think has more cachet and I think he I think he might enjoy it better. I've always said every time we've had this conversation that AC Milan and Newcastle were my favorite Pulisic destination. So I think this would be a great move for him. He would slot in very nicely on that right wing, forming a front three with Olivier Giroud and Raphael Leon. Stefano Pioli, for me, is one of the most underrated managers in Europe, gets the best out of players. AC Milan, as you mentioned, a storied club that's on an upswing again. They reached the semifinals of the Champions League this season. They won Serie A in the previous campaign. So I would be all for this. Now, let me ask you about the transfer fee. You could even spin that positively and say that he wouldn't have as much pressure on him, but it has to be irksome to U.S. fans that Chelsea succeeded in devaluing Pulisic to such a degree that a team thinks they could get him for 14 million euros. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, the transfer fee is like a 
you know, it's it, it's the, the the cost of the the house, right? It's the house stays the same for the most part, but the market changes all around it, and therefore affects uh, affects the cost. So I'm not I'm not bent out of shape that he once was an eighty million dollar player, and that was a very different time and moment, and that now he is maybe a twenty five or who knows maybe even a fifteen million dollar transfer right now. And it, and again, it goes back to what Chelsea is right now. So if he was coming from someplace else, it might be different. And we always have to factor in when a player is going to England, the uh, the fee is jacked up because of the money that uh, is involved. Yeah, although I'm not somebody that worships at the altar of the Premier League, let's be honest, the current landscape of European football is such that almost any move from the Premier League to Serie A feels like a step down. Yeah. But as you mentioned, this one, not as much so because Milan is such a storied club and Serie A is having a moment. They just had three teams reach the final of the various European competitions. They lost two of those finals to English clubs, it must be mentioned. But nevertheless, uh, it does feel like Serie A is on an upswing, so this might be a good moment for him to go to that league. Yeah, I, it'll look... It seems like he is moving, and who knows? We might, we might get back and say, ah, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. We, we couldn't agree on the fee, and he continues on. But it seems like he's moving. And in either of these places, it's going to give him, I think, a new lease on life. And to, to your point, an opportunity to play more. Interestingly enough, Yunus Musa finds himself in almost the exact same situation. He's agreed personal terms with AC Milan. He really wants to go there, but Milan have to agree a transfer fee with Valencia. They're offering around 20 million euros. Valencia want 25. He would be the replacement for the player I just mentioned, Sandro Tonali, who went to Newcastle. So we could have Pulisic and Musa playing for AC Milan. Timmy Weah just went to Juventus. Weston McKinney getting linked to Roma, among others, in Italy. So yeah, the American Serie A thing, something's happening here. Yeah, and you don't want to put the cart before the horse, but in these negotiations, obviously you have to you have these two things that have to be done: the personal terms and then the transfer fee. If there's a transfer fee involved, and if you are the, you know, if you're the seller, and you are negotiating with whoever wants to buy this team, you might say, "Look, I don't want to spend my time and resources on this if." This, if you're not going to be able to negotiate the, uh, the the personal fee. So get that done, and then we can sit down and talk. Or if, if you're on the other side, you might say, let me, let me get these personal things done, and then I will ultimately sit down and figure out the, uh, the money. But it, it is strange that I wonder if it is where, whether it's, uh, you know, in this case, a, a Chelsea saying, you know, you you can go and negotiate personal fees. That's all fine and well, but we haven't talked, and this is far far from done because you don't have to involve the club to negotiate personal fees. Obviously, it's between the player and the uh, representative to, to figure all that. But there are there are deals that have but personal fees have been agreed to, but the deal doesn't get done because they can't come to an agreement when it comes to the uh, the transfer fee. And AC Milan do have American owners, Redbird, Capital, uh, LeBron, uh, Drake, one of your favorite musicians or minority owners at that club? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Drake fan. Yeah. Um, if this happens, I, you know, as we talked about before, I'll be watching more AC Milan than I have been in the past. I will tune in for the American, and I'm sure they've already made the name of you know, what it's going to be, AC Milan, USA, or whatever the, you know, the folks out there want, want to call it. But it's part of the equation, and it's part of the strategy when it comes to an American player. 
Are you excited to watch Union Berlin next season? Who isn't? Because big news there, Brendan Aronson, it looks like, is headed to Union Berlin on loan from Leeds. He would join Jordan Pifak. They've also been mentioned as a potential destination for Serginho Dest. Union Berlin will finish fourth in the Bundesliga last season, so they will be in the Champions League. What do you make of this destination? He's going to the same league where his brother currently plays at, Paxton Aronson, playing for Eintracht Frankfurt. I think, it's a, I think this is a good move. And I think that Brendan Aronson will benefit from playing... Um, in in the Bundesliga, and I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy that he's not. I I think this is a good move because he's not playing the championship. Uh, I think this is a great move. He's always struck me as a Bundesliga yep. player. I think he'll do very well there. One name not mentioned is Jesus Ferreira. Do you think off this Gold Cup performance, he will get himself a move to Europe? I mean, there's always been people sniffing around, and he signed a new designated player deal a couple of years ago, and is pay- making millions of dollars playing here in Major League Soccer. But yeah, I think I think somebody is going to figure it out. Now, he will have seen his, by the way, his former teammate and I'm assuming friend, uh, Ricardo Pepe, and that pathway that didn't quite work out. And now I think it's headed in a, in a much more positive direction. So he will almost have a, uh, a, a story to look at and say, well, this didn't work out. So I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna take his time and pick and choose as to what he uh, wants to do. And as soon as he lands on the tarmac over there, the perception of him will be completely different. Incidentally, the only reason I brought up Jesus again is because there was a stat I wanted to mention that I forgot to when we were talking. Okay, all right. In researching uh, American hat tricks the last couple of days, do you know it was an American who scored the first hat trick in World Cup history back in 1930? Bert Patenaud. Really? Yes. Well, there you go, America. On this July 4th, celebrating uh, our contribution to the World Cup over the years. Uh, We'll end the first segment on this. It's not directly related to American soccer, but it's a big story that you wanted to talk about. Uh, The new offsides rule um, that Arsene Wenger is proposing. It looks like it might be adopted. Also, this news regarding VAR decisions being announced to the fans at the stadiums. You had thoughts on both those things. Yeah, I just wanted to get these these in because I think that they're interesting and I think they're going to be talking points uh, going forward. Okay, so the new potential change in the law when it comes to offside. And this is being rumored, uh, would affect how we judge a player being in an offside position. And in this change, what the law would state is that, I guess, only a portion of the part of the body that can score a goal, so not your arms or hands, has to be even with the second to last defender. And so basically think of it as, you know, almost the hockey blue line type of rule. And so potentially you could see players dragging the toe to keep themselves on on side. Now, unlike a blue line in hockey that's stationary, obviously this one moves in soccer. And it does fundamentally change the way attackers where they, you know, how they play and what they do. Because all of those offside over the years that we have seen where a player is just dramatically in front of the second to last defender there, uh, now those are onside. If even a portion of his foot, let's say, or any part of his body, again, that can score, is in line with that last defender. So what happens? Well, immediately when this, this happens, if I'm thinking of it as a defender, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to take a couple steps back. I am going to continue to take a couple steps back. And so my fear is that 
I am, as a defender, going to start uh, squashing that space behind me now even more. The other part is that, and we st- we've talked about this over the years, all you're really doing with regards to the debate and the discussion and sometimes the criticism of an offside call is moving the line. Now, you're moving it to the advantage of the attacking player, and I'm all for that. Even as a defender, more goals are better. And doing things that enable players to score more goals and the game to have more goals, I like that. That, that, is, that, is, a, that is a good thing. We should be doing more. And does it put uh, uh, defenders and the defense at a disadvantage even more? Yeah, I got, I got no, problem, uh, no problem with that. Um, but we'll see if this ultimately happens. And does it change? Are there more goals? Or do, does the line just move? And therefore, defenders, they just keep taking steps back in order to make sure that if and when there is offside, there's that daylight uh, that now makes the call. I agree with you. The application of this will be tricky, but I do like the overall recognition that Goals are good, and so we should make these rules in such a way where you're giving the advantage to the attacking player. So I think that's a step in the right direction. And, and all those moments where you have that camera angle that shows the players crossing the ball. I mean, David Beckham, for example, as great as he was at crossing the ball, would benefit from this because now he can target these players and he has another two yards to kind of work with. Uh, when it comes to curling it around the back of the defense and the back of the defense, that line now changes. And so as not just a defender, but as a back four or a back three, whatever, now you have to continue to worry that out of the corner of my eye in the past, I'm looking at that player that might be, you know, parallel and, and equal to me. Now, in what was in the past, I'm looking at him and I'm like, I don't worry about him because he's offside. Now I actually have to worry about him. And if I'm worried about him, what am I doing? I'm taking a couple steps back. So we'll see if this ultimately uh, plays out. The other uh, part of, uh, of this conversation was what evidently is about to happen here in the next few weeks. And that is the announcement of VAR rulings by the referees on the field, a la um, NFL or rugby, cricket, I don't know if cricket does it, but the actual referees, if and when there is a decision. In the past, it's been much more gesticulations. Uh, now they would be mic'd up and they would turn to the audience and say, this is this, this is the decision and this is why. Now, It remains to be seen, and I guess we'll all see it together, and the world will see it when this happens. Uh, It's rumored to happen this summer with the Women's World Cup. What what does this look like? What is the vernacular? You know, what what words are you using? How much of an explanation is given? And not for nothing, but what language is it given in? Especially when it comes to the international game, when uh, when you are either playing in the inter- in a in a World Cup or an international game, or the fact that the game is so global, when you're watching a game on television, is it done in the in the local language? Is it done in English? Is it done what you know? How how does that, how does that happen? And what referees now? have to develop a personality and an ability to speak now in front of sometimes 80,000 people and to have clarity and to have brevity, but to explain what is going on. I think ultimately this is a good thing. 
more information is better because oftentimes, Mossy, we are left wondering, well, what actually was decided? We can see what the final outcome was, but how did they get to that? And I think for referees, it's actually going to be helpful to say, hey, this is why we decided this. And uh, these are the reasons behind the final decision that we have given. You left out the biggest question mark of all with this. What's that? What does this mean for Dr. Joe Macknick? Because now referees are going to explain their whole thought process. So do we need a Dr. Joe to come in? We, yeah, we do because just because somebody explains it doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. Now, this is not getting rid of the discussion and the debate and the argument that, that, is, part of, that is part of sports. And we've seen it, you know, when the NFL, when the referee explains what the decision is, it doesn't mean that you have to like it. And so uh, Dr. Joe or others that are, analyzing and talking about rules, I, th I still think there's a place. Dr. Joe, who got a nice shout-out from Rob Stone on yes. the pregame because we ran a piece about the shot heard around the world, the Paul Caligiri goal, Trinidad and Tobago, USA, 1989. He was an assistant on that USA team. I mean, he has, he has lived and seen a lot of American soccer history. If you ever get a chance to sit down with Dr. Joe, uh, Joe Maccic, uh, he, <laughs> he has seen so much, and he's, he's so smart, and he's so funny and he's such an interesting dude in the way that he thinks about the, not just the game, but the way that he thinks about life. So I got a lot of time for doctor. Um, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll get you through some MLS uh, stuff because there was all sorts of action and there's action to come this week. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, the MLS season rolls along. There were games and there are going to be games. There's always games on the July 4th week, but we had an interesting lineup uh, of games this weekend. We picked out a couple that, uh, that stood out. Where do you want to start, Mossy? We're going to begin with the Big Fox game on Sunday because there was some interesting news off that game that we want to talk about. Atlanta did beat Philadelphia 2-0. Thiago Amada with a goal and an assist. Keep in mind, the transfer window is open in Europe now, so we'll see if Atlanta can hold on to Ahmad or if that's even something they want to do. Uh, Sean Sullivan, who gets his third mention on this podcast today, informed me that <laughs> Manchester City and Manchester United are both sniffing around. So that's interesting. He, you know, we've seen him score goals from free kicks and he lined up for a free kick and hit it into the wall and it came back and he was able to turn a bad free kick into just an incredible goal with uh, with the rebound, if you will, and the way that he struck it. And so there's no denying his talent. And it's not sniffing. It is full-on inhaling when it comes to the possibilities and the interest for Almada. And, and again, that transfer fee, we were talking earlier about transfer fees. What is he worth in 2023 coming off of winning a World Cup, continuing to score great goals in MLS, young and... A, you know, an attractive type of talent on the uh, on the open market. We'll see. Uh, Philadelphia suffered this defeat, uh, but they did announce that Jim Curtin has signed a contract extension through 2026. Curtin has been there since 2014. He's the second longest tenured manager in MLS behind only Peter Vermes. And apparently he will remain for three more years after this. One. Well, congratulations to Jim Curtin. 
And I, I, it's a no brainer given his track record and given his, uh, you know, his talent and also given his personality. And Jim Curtin has pulled off an incredible feat in the modern day. Longevity is not something that we see in all in all sports when it comes to uh, when it comes to coaches and that he has been able to do this year after year after year with what has to be said is you know almost one hand tied behind his back relative to other teams is a credit to how good he is. And, you know, who knows how long ultimately this will last. But Jim Curtin, as the coach of the Philadelphia Union, he will, I think, leave a lasting impression and legacy. And I've, I've talked about Jim, Jim Curtin over the years here. I got, I got a lot of time for him in the way that he thinks about soccer, in the way that he thinks about coaching, in the way that he thinks about life. And he is, you know, he's fun to talk to, but he also gets the job done. And on top of everything, he's a local kid. And that all doesn't always work, but he has found a way to build off of, you know, his success as a player. And I think when all is said and done, and I don't think this is controversial at all, he will be known for being a legendary type of coach rather than a legendary type of player. And he's well on his way. Now, where where this pathway leads, I don't know, because I think that people will come calling for him, too, because of the quality that he has. Cincinnati, New England played to a 2-2 draw. It was an eventful day for Dominique Baggi. He scored two goals, but also an own goal. Cincinnati's still comfortably atop the Supporter Shield standings, but they've had a little bit of a dip here. They lost 3-0 to D.C. United, and now they draw at home. It's not easy in Major League Soccer to consistently be great, even for great teams. You look at LAFC or Seattle or, you know, the list goes on and on and on because people will figure you out. And we're in the dog days of summer right now. The environment, and if you're watching the show, you know, we just saw some of the um, highlights, including that, that Baji Brace there. He, the, the, the environment that they have created there and the positivity that this team has brought off of the <laughs> off of the back of just incredible failure it's it's fun to see but they're going to have moments like this and not for nothing but new england is one of the one of the better teams and elite teams in the uh in the league this year so this isn't the end of the world um and ultimately they were able to fight back and so they gave their 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 fans something to uh, something to cheer about but they've been very very good at home and so this was a little bit of a blip, but they still get a point. And as long as you're getting points, uh, that's a good thing. Seattle 1-0 over Houston. Albert Ruznak with the only goal. Seattle is interesting. I was talking to Keith uh, Koskin yesterday, and you know this is, this is a Seattle team that, yes, has turned the corner and come out of that horrible year um, where, well, it was, I guess it wasn't all horrible in winning CONCACAF Champions League, but then sucking it up and for the first time not making the playoffs. And they're just they're just hanging around this year, and so this was a huge, huge win. You know, they they did uh, benefit from a red card, um, and so Seattle doesn't need to play against ten men to be good and win. But in this case, they'll take it. A bonus game: FC Dallas beat LAFC two 0 
It is interesting in contrasting Seattle last year to LAFC this year. Now, Seattle, it was a double whammy in pursuing the CCL title. They blew off MLS, dropped a bunch of points, dug a hole for themselves, and then had a major post-CCL hangover, could never recover, missed the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. LAFC at least avoided the first part. Even as they were going along in CCL, they were still churning out the points in MLS. So they came out of CCL in pretty good shape in the MLS standings, but they have had a major post-CCL hangover. Just two wins in seven MLS games since that second leg against Lyon. They've dropped four of their last six, and now they're going to play this July 4th game against the Galaxy at the Rose Bowl, El Trafico. Uh, what do you make of where LAFC are at right now? Yeah, but they're in second place. So, <laughs> But they had all these games in hand. Everybody thought, oh my God, when the dust settles and they make up all these games, they're going to be way ahead of everybody else. And they've struggled to the point where now St. Louis is three points ahead and two wins ahead. So even if LAFC win that extra game, St. Louis is still going to be in first place. So they've squandered that whole advantage they had. Wait, no. St. Louis has played 20 games. LAFC has played 19 games, right? So if LAFC wins the game in hand, then they're tied. Correct. And LAF and St. Louis would have more wins, which is the tiebreaker. So I'm saying we thought that... Yeah, but, but relative to Seattle not even making the playoffs last year, LAFC, if they win out their, their games in hand, they're, they're first in the league. Correct. They will not be nearly the same. Yeah, so I'm not worried about LAFC is what I'm saying. That's all yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, they're, that they are the best team that I've ever seen play. And I'm not saying that they haven't had a little bit of a hangover. But relative to what Seattle did... And again, Seattle, it, it, they're, they're sitting in third place right now. So so things are fine for LA. I mean, the big story here, maybe we're bearing the lead, is St. Louis is still hanging around. That is that is amazing. And hats off. And now you're talking now you have to start talking about St. Louis uh, in terms uh, in the same breath of, you know, uh, expansion teams that have come out of the gate all guns blazing with Atlanta, with obviously LAFC, with. Seattle to a, to a certain extent. So, and that is rarefied air relative to an expansion team. So well done. Well done, St. Louis. You know, they, I didn't think that they would be able to hang around in the way that they have. And by the way, they're doing it with injuries. And so they have built this club to be sustainable through a course of a year. So far, so good. But even, even if they were to lose all the rest of their games, this has been quite impressive from St. Louis. As I mentioned, we will have some games on July 4th. FC Dallas coming off that win over LAFC will face DC United. And then LAFC coming off that loss will face the Galaxy at the Rose Bowl. This game is going to have over 80,000, which is going to set an MLS single game attendance record, surpassing the 74,000 and change that went to Bank of America for a Charlotte LA Galaxy game. Bank of America being where the U.S. played this past week against Trinidad and Tobago. So yeah, it should be a great occasion. This was supposed to be the first game of the season. We had Taylor Twelman on to promote it, and then weather got in the way. It had to be postponed. I was going to go to that game back at the start of the season. I now can't go to this one because I have to work the Gold Cup, which I'm bitter about. Nevertheless, should be an incredible occasion. Why wouldn't this have been a game anyway? I don't know. <laughs> I know this is a rescheduled thing, but why wouldn't you have them play at the July 4th anyway? Right? Fair or, point. And, and at the beginning. I mean, at this point, when it comes to making money and 80,000 people, if 80,000 people are going to show up and they were going to show up, like you said, at the beginning of the year. So it's not just relative to July 4th. Do it twice. Play in, play in the Rose Bowl. When LAFC plays the Galaxy, I, I guess play at the Rose Bowl. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, yeah. That, uh, who, who, who do I get on that one? I, I still think it's going to be, uh, I, th I think it's going to be LAFC. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Incidentally, the Galaxy coming off a 2-2 draw with San Jose. Douglas Costa with two assists in that game. Kobe Jones is the only person that thinks they're now going to a lesser rivalry game because he still bangs the drum for LA Galaxy San Jose being the biggest rivalry in MLS, believe it or not, which is one of the most shocking takes I've ever heard from a human being. I, I, yeah, I completely disagree <laughs> with uh, with Kobe. But he's old school, man. I mean, he's, he's Galaxy through and through, and so his his time in the trenches was against uh, was against San Jose. So uh, can I tell you my... Um, my uh, Rose Bowl July 4th story. I'm going to tell another uh, Rose Bowl or, or not Rose Bowl, but uh, July 4th soccer story later on in here. But I, I think I, I put this in here because and I was telling this to uh, <laughs> to Mo uh, Marisa Du yesterday on set, because as you mentioned, we were t- kind of being nostalgic and looking back at all the craziness that's happened. And so I was telling war stories from the beginning of uh, of MLS. So back in, and I, I might have told this before, but it's, I'll, I'll tell it again. Back in the beginning of MLS, we used to do these jaunts where we would play on a Thursday and then play on a Sunday. And usually it was regional. So, for example, we would play here in Los Angeles. And I'm, when I say we, I was playing at that point with the New England Revolution. We would play in Los Angeles and then we would play in San Jose. You know, it was, you know, economical. And so... Uh, I was I was with uh, the New England Revolution, and we played a July Fourth game against the Galaxy at the Rose Bowl because huge, huge crowd and fireworks and all that kind of stuff. We beat the Galaxy, and that was not something that uh, was expected because the Galaxy was a much better team. If you look at the the players that they had, and you know the likes of Kobe and Campos, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, at a point, I got a red card in that game. And I had kicked the ball on the sideline and hit a ball kit, I think. And, you know, anyway, I got, I got kicked out of the game and I think it was my second yellow card ultimately. So obviously it's a, it's a red, I'm leaving the game and I'm supposed to miss the next game, but we're playing up in San Jose. And from a marketing perspective, that didn't look great. And so the commissioner intervened and uh, they agreed to postpone my suspension so that I could play in the game up in uh, in San Jose. Again, it was the Wild West back uh, back then, but that I'll never forget getting thrown out of the game in the Rose Bowl in front of you know eighty thousand people or whatever it ends up being. But we ended up winning uh, that game against against Kobe Jones and and company, and then I was able to play in the game up in up in San Jose. Anything else, my friend? One of the great historical coincidences in history is the fact that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on July 4th, 1826, on the 50-year anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's the way to end a segment, my friend. Look at you. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze 
to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And uh, you can do it on the social media platforms out there. Again, our handle is SOTU with Alexi. And use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. What do we got uh, this episode, Mossy? Let's start with a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexi and Mossy. It's Chase from Dallas. I had a question kind of about careers. You said we could ask anything. So um, I'm going to be in college next year, a freshman, going to be majoring in sports management. And I'd like to get on the business side of sports, much like you were with the Galaxy, Alexi. Um, I was just asking for some advice on how I could maybe build my way up, build my build myself, um, work the hardest I can to try to become most successful at that. What's some advice that you have? for sports business and how to become like a general manager. Because my dream would be to become a general manager or anything front office of like an NBA team, MLB team, NFL, and maybe even soccer. So thank you. All right. Uh, Chase, uh, return, a return of Chase, right? That's, that's good. We had uh, your friend Alex, the Brazilian, right? Uh, he's called in a couple of times and Chase with a, uh, another call and a good one. Um, okay. So, so first off, uh, Congratulations, I guess, are in order because at least you have an idea of what you want to do. I was talking to a, a young man the other day who had it all kind of laid out. And this was, you know, a, a senior in high school. And I was, to a certain extent, envious because I didn't have it all laid out. And I think the majority, the vast majority of kids don't have an idea of this is what they want to do. And if you can do it, and if you can, if you can visualize it, that's that's great because it becomes a whole lot more efficient. And so that you have this idea of what you want to do, that already puts you a, a ahead of the game. And that, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. Now, actually, it's one thing to visualize. It's another thing to actually uh, do it. So you're, you're, you're going to go to college, and I'm assuming you're going to study this. I never had that opportunity to, to study. I was going to say, if he wants to follow the Alexi Lalas path to becoming a general manager, you simply have to be a Hall of Fame player and then be handed jobs in your post-career that you had very little qualifications for. Exactly. So, you know, uh, announce your uh, and admit your privilege and do all that, which which I do. So I backdoored the situation because of being an ex-player. And I'm not the first. I am not the last. It's just the reality uh, of the situation. So... That's not who Chase is, and that's not who 99% of the people out there are. And so going this route, and by the way, you are going to be much more equipped at a much younger age to be able to function in this uh, in this world. You mentioned 
a bunch of different sports. I do think to the extent that you can find the sport that you want to work in, but, but beggars can't be choosers. And it might be that when you graduate from college with, you know, the, 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 the idea of what you want to do and having majored in it, I'm, I'm assuming that you take what you can get. And oftentimes there's kind of a, the hierarchy of oftentimes the NFL is at that, uh, the, the highest spot, but you know, whether it's NBA or not just major league baseball, but all of the minor league teams that you have the opportunity to just literally get into a working front office of a sports team and understand what it's about because it's all fine and well to study it. It's all fine and well to be book smart, but actually being in it day in and day out and seeing how it functions and seeing some of the realities that sometimes you just don't learn or it's not taught in school is really, really important. And then within that, you mentioned being a, a GM or uh, you know other positions, you might find that when you get there, there are things that you gravitate to, either you really, really like and or that you are, uh, you are good at. So all of that is to say is, I can't tell you ultimately how to do it. If you're in college right now, um, working and being involved in as many different avenues that can be beneficial to if and when you get an opportunity in front office, that's, that's important. So, you know, whether it's the marketing, sales, um, community relations, PR, media, all that kind of stuff. Those are all different departments within a front office of a, uh, of a sports team. And then there's the actual competitive side. And that's the, you know, the, the trades and negotiating contracts and, and doing all of, all of those things. So the more opportunity you get, whether it's summer work, internships or not, or actual uh, jobs out there, if you are working in a sports environment, that's what everybody wants to see. And that's padding your resume. So then when you do sit down for a potential job at a, uh, at a team, and a lot of times the entree for people that like you, because you're not alone, Chase, there's a lot of people that want, a lot of times the entree is in sales and going in there and selling tickets and selling the team and selling the sport ultimately. And it might not be what you want to do, but I do think that it, that it gives you an idea of, especially when it comes to soccer, some of the realities behind the scene. I wish you well, Chase, in uh, whatever you end up doing. And I will say this, just because you have your road mapped out doesn't mean that it's not going to twist and turn and doesn't mean that that destination that you see in the future doesn't change. So if and when you get to college, don't be afraid to adjust that destination. Don't be afraid to say, hey, you know, this is what I thought I wanted to do, but I'm really into this. And I, I, my, my worry is that in a situation where you have the opportunity and the gift of being able to try different things, that you'll be so myopic and you'll be so focused on what you want to do that you might miss out on something that is of equal value and will excite you and challenge you maybe even more so than what you had in your beliefs and vision. So best of luck, Chase. And thank you for, for listening. And thank you for uh, calling in on the hotline now multiple times. Well done. Uh, next up, a Twitter question at Teddy Pops. 
asks, what age should youth soccer players start specializing? I think they're specializing to early youth sports is overworking them into game. So when I read this tweet and responded to it on Twitter, I was reading it as specialization in an actual sport. There are others that have read this tweet and looked at it as specialization within soccer positionally, right? So let, let, let's take both of those, the positional aspect of it. And what if you read it that way, then what you are saying is soccer players spe specializing in a, in a position, goalkeeper, defender, outside back, forward, whatever, something like that. I, I don't think that that should happen, and certainly not at a young age. Try as many different positions, play as many different positions as you, as you possibly can. Even the distinction of a position at a young age can be detrimental. Around what age did you figure out that it was definitely going to be center back? I did not play in the back until I got to college. Uh, and it was, again, out of necessity. You know, we were talking earlier about chase. You know, sometimes you see an opportunity, you just got to grab it. And whether it's a Wally Pip type of situation from a sports perspective or, you know, you're, you just got your foot in the door or you're in a meeting and somebody that has influence and you impress that person. So when the opportunity is there, don't be afraid to grab it. And the coach said, listen, we're going through a, the coach at, at Rutgers at the time said, we're going through a, a, a rebuilding type of process and we really, really need defenders. And I said, oh, yeah, I played defense plenty, plenty of times. And I had never played defense. And I just made it up and, you know, fake it till you make it kind of a, kind of a situation. So, so but, but as a youth soccer player, yes, I do think that there is a point where if you recognize that this is a position that I love and this is a position that I good. In the same way that we talked about Chase, don't, don't limit yourself. Because you never know what you are actually going to be good at and what is really going to float your boat when it comes to a position unless you actually try it. But if there comes a point where you just love playing outside back and this is something that you want to do and you're good at it, and that's an important part of it, and you're good at it, then yeah, just keep, keep doing that. But that's not how I read this, <laughs> this question. I read this question from Teddy as specializing in soccer, period. And it was under this, uh, you know, it kind of came on, on the heels of Matt Turner and him hitting, uh, hitting the ball. And I, I, as I've said many times, recognized that the specialization aspect of youth sports, that train has left the station. There's nothing I can do. I can be all romantic and grumpy old man as much as I want, but that's not changing. People are going to specialize. And when I say people, it's parents usually are going to, I guess, in many cases, force their kids to be in one sport, especially if your goal is to produce a professional athlete or, uh, or, get, your, or get your kid a, uh, a scholarship. So I get that. I don't like it. I don't necessarily think that it is ultimately beneficial um, in terms of producing the most well-rounded athlete slash human being. And I know that I benefited from playing in multiple sports. So I, to your point, if, that, if that's your question, Teddy, I mean, I don't think that youth soccer players should only be playing soccer at an, at a, at an early age. And when you get into your, your teens, and again, this goes back to 
you got to know yourself. And you, I hope, will have tried other sports and said, that's just not for me. The sad part for me is when athletes that want to play other sports and want to be multi-sport athletes are not able to do so, either by just the rules and regulations that exist or the time commitment and requirement when it comes to it. And that is a definite change because I am from a generation that, you know, the season changed and I grabbed my skates or the season changed and you went out and played baseball and that was it. And you moved on to that other sport. But again, that is a long gone era. That is it. All right. Thank you uh, to Chase and to Teddy for uh, sending in your questions. And you too can send in your questions when it comes to Ask Alexi. We'll take another quick break. We'll come back and finish out the show with my one for the road. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, any uh, plans for the uh, 4th of July? I will be working. <laughs> we both will be working. Uh, yeah, CONCACAF, in their infinite wisdom, decided to take today, Monday, off, but play a slate of uh, group games on Tuesday, July 4th, in a Gold Cup that is happening in the United States. So we will be here hard at work giving you the soccer content that you crave on July 4th. Um, any, uh, any memories of July 4th past uh, that you care to share with the uh, the folks out there before I tell a little story? My favorite one is Romario slicing his way past the U.S. <laughs> defense and setting up Bebeto for the winner. Brazil won, USA nil, 1994, round of 16. Well, okay. en route to winning that World All game. right, well, you set me up perfectly. So yes, way back in 1994, before many of you listening were, were around, a famous game happened on July 4th. Earlier in the pod, I told you that you know soccer and July 4th is... Uh, you know, that goes hand in hand. Big games have happened in the past. So at this time, however many years ago it was, I know exactly where I was. I was getting ready to go out on the field with the U.S. men's national team in the 1994 World Cup in our round of 16 game, having come out of the group and to play against what we didn't know at the time, but ultimately was the eventual winners of the World Cup in 1994, Mossy's Brazil. It was a legendary game for a number of different reasons. Uh, for those that remember, Tab Ramos um, was famously elbowed by um, Leonardo. Leonardo. And uh, Brazil, even with 10 men, ultimately was able to win. As you mentioned, Bebeto scoring that goal, the tandem of Bebeto and Romario up uh, up top and thus ended our run when it when it came to uh uh the uh, 1994 World Cup but that it happened on July 4th that it you know we were <laughs> we were uh in our at that point we were our stars and stripes one not the uh not the denim one that we were uh that we were wearing it was still a wonderful moment and it was a wonderful celebration of of our country, but through soccer. 
in that moment. And really, that gets back to what I want to finish up here. I hope that everybody has a wonderful July 4th uh, if you are celebrating, because we have a lot of international listeners and viewers out there. But here in the United States, we are celebrating our independence. And it's a special day. And everybody goes out and has hot dogs and barbecues and there's fireworks and all this kind of stuff. And as I mentioned, uh, there's plenty of soccer, including LAFC and the Galaxy up at the at, at the Rose Bowl. Or if you want to watch our uh, our Gold Cup coverage, you can watch you can watch that too. But ultimately, even when you're at a soccer game, really what you're celebrating is what I feel is the greatest country uh, in the world. And if you are from another country, then I would think that you would feel that your country is the greatest country in the world. And again, it's it's not. I'm not blinded by my red, white, and blue. I recognize the flaws that we have. And we talk about you know, you know, looking at the game of soccer through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. And we certainly lean into America in the way that we talk about the game and the way that, uh, that we look at, about, uh, at the game. I don't you know, claim that the United States is without flaws, plenty of flaws, uh, to, uh, to recognize and try to rectify going forward. But this is the country of my birth. This is the country, as we've said many times, that I had the privilege of representing, whether it was on July 4th or any, uh, or any other day. And this is the country that me and my family call home. This is also the country that so many people still want to come to and want to experience for all of the opportunity and all of the liberties and all of the freedoms that we can afford. And ultimately, that's what we are, that, that's what we are celebrating. And that here in 2023, as we celebrate this incredible nation, part of that history is soccer and what soccer has become and the unique version of soccer that we over now many, many decades, have created. And at times, we are critical of it. At times, we are critical of ourselves for what we haven't done. But I say time and time again, we also have to recognize how far it has come and how interesting it is and how diverse it is and how unique it is relative to this game that is played all over the world. And leaning into it and being proud of your country, uh, I think, involves also being proud of what American soccer is. And we fight and we scream and yell and people agree and people disagree. But ultimately, this game of soccer that so many people have come to and continue to come to is part of what I am thankful for and part of what I am celebrating when it comes uh, to the United States. And it's only going to get better. And we have 26 to look forward to and all sorts of incredible uh, things to look forward to. So I hope that you have a wonderful July 4th. I hope that uh, you are spending it with friends and family. I hope that there is uh, you know, incredible storytelling and incredible laughter and incredible love of not only the people that you were with, but your country and an appreciation and a respect for this great America um, that, uh, that we call home. Mossy, anything before we go? A couple things before we get out of here. The great Nick Rago has made his way into the studio. A lot of buzz about the speech he gave at the Catherine Donnelly wedding. Yes. So to bring this pod full circle, congratulations again to Catherine and Adam. 
One final thing, Kiara is also sitting right there. Can I get something off my chest? You obviously want to, so yes. Uh, Last Thursday was a humbling day for us because we ran so long, the Flipping Bats guys arrived. And we like to think of ourselves as the favorite podcast of the people that work in the studio. And the flagship, if you will. And I could not believe how excited everybody was to greet the Flipping Bats guys. Kiara came running out here. She was like a schoolgirl around one of them. She clearly has a crush on him. Giggling and yeah. Didn't even acknowledge us. No, it was... We were we were yesterday's news and, you know, the microphones clicked off and they were on to what I think they consider bigger and better things. You know, I mean, we're, we're people too, Mossy, right? So, well, listen, at least they don't let it affect their work because they are incredible at what they do. And it gives us something to shoot for, okay? We can woo them back to our side, back to the side of the State of the Union. The folks that are watching and listening, they're, they're already here. And thank you so much for everybody that does uh, watch and listen, for reviewing, for rating, for subscribing and doing all those things. We will work on you know, bringing the people that are close to us here even closer and bringing them into the State of the Union um, world and ecosystem that we, uh, that we have. But everybody else out there, they're already on board. And each and every week, we get more and more people that come into the State of the Union, my friend. And it's because of everything that you do uh, and all of the men and women that we have that work behind the scenes to make us look good. And we said time and time again, that's not the easiest thing to do. All right. Happy Fourth of July, America. We will talk to you again later on this week in another episode. And until then, and as always, size the day.